Now, I did say today I would respond to some questions, and some of you have presented questions over a period of time. I don't always get round to dealing with them all in one session. There's a lot of interest in metta and goodwill and how to deal with stuck emotions and so forth. person saying um, how to protect one's axis, one's centre, after retreat. Very difficult to be away from sangha. What should I practice? How should I practice when I'm outside of retreat and outside of a supportive community? So that's to do, to do with environment, isn't it? By environment, I don't just mean trees. I mean your psychological environment, your social environment. Uh, and suddenly that has moved from a quiet, still, sympathetic place to a place, of, a listening place to a place of considerable amount of impact and um, not much listening, <laughs> not much receptivity and probably all kinds of different influences, and thereby, of course, we're in a field of karma. Action, action happens. And karma is, is often understood to be things I do, but actually it's big, bigger than that. It's not just what I do, it's what everybody does. So even if we did nothing, we'd still be in the field of karma. We're in the field of there is activity happening, there are activations, there's actions happening that trigger certain responses so our environment really comes down to karma and if you're in a retreat or with benevolent people generally the karmic qualities that are coming in are supportive benevolent and so forth as one's being impacted by qualities of spaciousness allowing generosity wisdom and so forth and outside of, suddenly you find yourself in a situation where that's no longer occurring. And so naturally one gets disoriented. Uh, therefore, it's so important to, well, first of all, <laughs> to, to seek good companions, good companionship, um, either actually in the flesh or at least in, in, the, in your mind. So we can remember and uh, bring to mind and reflect upon, over a long period of time, the skills, the actions, the examples, and the uh, other beings, and also how we felt in a situation when we felt comfortable and settled. Because these retreat situations, however temporary they may be, do help us to, to align ourselves to a fundamental inner axis, an inner centre, an inner groundedness, um, you know, which is not to do with an external environment. It's, it's autonomous from that. It doesn't mean we can't sense anything, but we've got an autonomous centre that can reflect upon it. And that's really what retreats are about. They're not just about having an experience within the retreat, but touching into something through that mediated environment that enables you to access something that's there in your own presence. And that's exactly what it is. It's your own presence. Um, and your own presence is not really a doing anything. It's not karma. Your own presence doesn't do anything. It's not created by something. It's not doing anything. 
therefore it remains a kind of a central refuge place when we know oh, that's what's happening to me that's what's happening to me even though the me is invisible the sense of what it's pointing to is this sense of presence now if you think it's pointing to some historical self then that's that's where the mistake occurs we generate this psychological quality called self and we think things are happening to that uh, and that psychological quality is actually not your true center not your true ground uh, so it's also incapable of dealing with phenomena that arise because it is itself is a series of phenomena isn't it you can't find a stable grounded self there are just various emotions and energies and feelings and activities that we call mine and they they themselves are karma they create things they do things they affect things they affect our minds they move our energies around and they're impacted by the energies and the moods of others so that that psychological self is incapable of finding a true balanced refuge and a way to orient and to contemplate the experience that's occurring and so it's necessary to find that to know that axis and very simply speaking again you know this is why the buddha so strongly recommended sati mindfulness immersed in the body to the extent he's saying all all qualities conditions phenomena that are pertinent to awakening all gather together in mindfulness of the body just like the rivers stream into the ocean mindfulness of the body encompasses all beneficial qualities that are supportive for awakening you only touch the deathless through mindfulness immersed in the body and people might really imagine that means you've got to focus on a particular sensation but that's not what it means it means mindfulness of your fundamental presence okay so okay let's get this down to what am i referring to <laughs> well another way of putting it because it's not a sensation it's not a feeling it's if you could say here you're here you're here you know, now you may be here in new york or singapore or anywhere but no you're not that's just the wallpaper that's just what it looks like around you that's just the language that's not where you are because that can go at any given moment if it's pitch black and there's no sound coming are you in nigeria or glasgow how do you know <laughs> but you're always here yeah that hereness is underneath the veils of consciousness of sense consciousness now for example again another example if we come into balance standing up feel balance of lax muscles that you don't need and you you can sense an axial presence yeah so that's that's such an important practice such an important point to come back to time and time again it doesn't do anything but it gives an orientation whereby you're not compulsively grasping reacting 
fighting, worrying, proliferating about yourself. And once you get aware of that reference point, you could probably get there in a few seconds. Even better when you begin a day, it's just to begin a day through whatever you need to do to access that. And another reference point I would say is that generally the stillness of that arises through movement. You, you move towards stillness. That is, you begin to gently feel the movement of your body, either by physically walking around without aiming to go, and you're just feeling the mobility of the body, and also by breathing, that's a movement, moving through your body, and perhaps both of them. And just putting aside the waves of mental, emotional, energy, moods that come and rise. And just keep referring back to that till you get some sense of feeling grounded and stable in yourself. That's the way to begin your day. One aspect of it. And returning to that several times a day, probably. All this is going on, but I can stretch my skin, I can roll my shoulders, I can open my eyes, close my eyes, and where am I now? So stillness itself can be deceptive because it's a stillness which is the kind of like clamped, closed stillness, which is a very understandable reaction we we just shut down and go stiff or try to stop everything a silence that's imposed rather than arrived at so to arrive there means a, a gentle animated i don't mean rushing around i mean it's a sense of living the movement of life moving through you moving and then who is this happening to this life force is happening the essence of that presence and as we turn our attention towards that presence because it's not located in a particular point in the body which can be held with focused attention instead because it's not focused on a particular point it's received through opening your attention it's called awareness Awareness is the capacity, the receptive aspect of the heart, mind, citta, receiving your own presence. And that's, that's awareness. Awareness connecting to presence gives you a very firm ground, firm place. And by and large, for many people, that movement towards presence, bringing awareness towards presence, is a movement that's endowed with goodwill. It's like like a loving or devotion to presence. Very often in monasteries we have chanting, which is a loving devotional gesture, sense of coming into stillness through loving presence, through devotion to presence, through heartful response to being present, rather than an intellectual decision, I am this, I should do that. I would suggest these are very foundational and necessary and well-tried and tested practices. Now another couple of questions. person says, in daily life, their system gets stuck 
in strong emotions about a previous experience with a person who treated me badly in my workplace. The person's left the workplace, but the memories and the turmoil are still there. Yeah, again, well, this is what I mean by karma, by which I don't necessarily mean things you've deliberately done, but being in the field of action, your own action, and also other people's actions, and how other people's actions or the actions you received trigger certain emotional responses and probably behavioral strategies. Emotional responses may be a sense of shock, confusion, disappointment, disorientation, and the, the psychological strategies might be shut down, run away, try to make it stop. Mm. These are quite common. This is actually creating more karma. Those mental actions that we find ourselves coming up with because of how we're being treated, our mental actions, our emotional actions, are another form of karma. Yeah. So the actions of others may impact us. We get activated and respond in certain familiar ways. That's called karma action. And that karma creates me. I don't create karma. Karma creates me. That sense of familiar responses, reactions and so forth generate the sense of who I am as a social personality. And that social personality cannot deal with these experiences because it is the result of these experiences. And, of course, the person might feel, oh, I can't deal with this, I should try and make something better, I should try to be this, that, and other. But they can't because they are the result of the experience. They have no command over the experience. So what has to be done is to kind of get back to the beginning of the experience before it becomes personal. And that's why this um, understanding of um, karma and, um, and presence is so important because presence precedes the personality, precedes the person. Before we had a personality, we were born. Before we knew what to do, we could breathe. Before we could speak, we were affected. We had presence. From day one, we had presence. Before we knew who we were, we had presence. So it's returning to that, because then from there, it's possible to begin to generate a more useful response to what has happened to you. Now, this is the meditative um, response to that situation. It doesn't deal with other responses which may also be necessary and helpful. The meditative response is to feel the feeling as a feeling. And the feeling, of course, may be multiple. There could be the feeling of I can't manage, the feeling of I'm hopeless, the feeling of fear that this may happen again, the feelings associated with the initial hurt. There could be quite a lot of feelings stacked up. But the first thing we do is let's 
to be really radically authentic, what is not there is actually a person. There is a series of feelings and responses and reactions. That may not be, seem to be the answer, but it, it's the beginning of it. Because then the response that can come up is just all this, in all this, in all this, all this tangle, what is an authentic response that keeps presence in mind? And it has to be some form of goodwill. So the first authentic response from the authentic sense of presence is always some kind of goodwill. It could be the goodwill of patience. Just okay, I can bear with this. It's just, it could be the goodwill of, uh, I'm willing to be here with this. It could be the goodwill of compassion. There's a lot of, dis lot of distress here. A lot of unsettled feeling here. What is the quality of opening to sadness with a generous heart. It could be the goodwill of equanimity. Conditions of the calm is like this, conditions are like this. Why add any more to it? Any more blaming or worrying to it? It could be the goodwill associated with um, appreciation. At least I didn't act in violent, harmful ways. That's good. This could have got very bad. At least I'm looking at this clearly. That's good. Otherwise, if you don't respond to these emotions clearly, they'll sit there and fester and stew and cripple you. Therefore, if you're looking into this, congratulations, appreciation, support. Mm. Of course, there's another question that helps, reiterates this. It's about a person who's experiencing challenging situations right now. This isn't in the past, this is right now, where the same sort of rotten stuff is happening. <laughs> Relational hostility. Okay, well, this is common. I think probably one question in five that I get is about relational problems. Maybe one in three. Maybe one in two. <laughs> Why is it so difficult? <laughs> because of karma. And karma is an, is an action that uh, generates further action. So somebody's action towards you generates all this activation. And then your activation generates more activation to try and stop being so activated. And then you're going to have to do it so you search for more actions to do to make this unpleasant action go away. This is the story of karma. It's like a dog chasing its tail. But every time it chases its tail, it adds another tail to it. They're chasing two tails, then three tails, then five tails... And then it, right, that's karma. It proliferates. There's a place called the ending of karma. 
It's not just the time in the future, there's a place within you where karma doesn't reach, and that's the place of presence. But this isn't entirely the end of the story, because, yeah, there, but then from there, we review with a heart of compassion the whole domain of karma. Our own, other people's, whoever we call it, however it takes form, activation is like this. Feeling is like this. Emotion is like this. There's not one thing there that should not be because it is. Now, give another line. The basis of this awakening is about morality. Or ethical or conscience and concern. Sensitivity. Relational sensitivity, right? So let's take sila, morality, not as just as some do's and don'ts list, but as the experience of relational sensitivity to others and to myself, equalizing to others and to myself, this relational sensitivity, because this covers the relational field, which for many people, perhaps for all of us, is somewhere as afflictions in that. So at least we cover that field of people who are dead 20 years ago, um, people in the workplace, um, parents, um, guides, guardians, um, dogs, you know, whatever. Uh, all of that, just a sense of it. And essentially harmlessness and truthfulness. Now, of course, these are beautiful words and beautiful ideas. They're much more than that. They're actually energies. You probably recognize that violence is an energy. Yeah? Sharp, tangling, abrasive, intrusive. What's harmlessness like? If violence is an energy, what is non-violence? Is that just nothing? Or is it an energy that receives things respectfully and does not violate, does not antagonize, does not do that? Truthfulness doesn't add what isn't there, doesn't say how things should be or shouldn't be, just truth, it's this, it's a clean straight, unwavering honesty. Hmm? So these are energies, and they are pure. Now, our ability to maintain them may be faulty, but by themselves they're innately, there's a purity to them. And you bring up that quality. You remember that quality. You bring it to mind. And then it begins to suffuse. And this is the gateway to the what's called the metta, the divine abidings, or the Brahmavihara, which of a similar nature. We can all vow and appreciate the qualities of goodwill, or loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. We may not feel we have enough of them, we will shed more of them. 
how do we get more of them? This is when you just get into the ideas. But actually, they also have an energy to them, a healing energy. And they, they suffuse. So when we really touch into the experience of what is, say, love, goodwill, however you want to put it, that heart quality, whenever that arises for you, whenever you, even if you remember it, when it has arisen for you, when you've received it from another person, when you really get the sense that someone else is very concerned for your welfare, willing to walk an extra mile to do something for your welfare, how does that feel? Get it. And when you experience something like that towards another, get it. That is not just an idea, it's an energy. An energy that can keep you going, strengthen you, take you through the challenges and the difficulties, brush aside the pettiness and the jealousies, you know, get over the prickling and the tangling and bring into, into full health. And it's an energy that suffuses. It goes through the entire body energy system. Yeah. So people sometimes, how do I do meta to this person or that person? It just doesn't matter. Just spread it and see who or whatever arises within that quality that seems to need it. That would be my encouragement for practicing metta. That is just get the thing going and then let it decide. <laughs> get the energy going. It has a wisdom to it. Get that energy established, that mode of practice established and let it spread because it has a spreading suffusive nature. And you'll find it may contact places where you feel a sense of, oh, that was beautiful, mudita, joy. Or places where, oh, that was very painful. And just the soothing water of compassion. Or it may touch you into places whereby there's no immediate answer to this. We must maintain equanimity and stay open and non-reactive. These qualities. They come together. Lovely example in the suttas. This is uh, Sangyuta Nikaya 42, um, chapter 8, called the Conch. I won't go through the whole thing, but basically the Buddha says, um, I was asking him about karma. Somebody's giving this view that if you do any wrong, then immediately you're going to go to hell. Sexual misconduct, lying and cheating, then you, the karma that is hell. <laughs> Pretty straight. And the Buddha's saying, no, no, that's not the case. Um, but when one recognizes that one has committed acts of sexual misconduct, intoxication, lying, violence, and so forth, we need to acknowledge that and then generate the field of precepts of ethical sensitivity and it says you then begin to generate that so that the mind does not have ill will and you have right view and right view is one of the wisdom teachings that helps us to understand and liberate ourselves from karma that is we have all done said careless things that have been hurtful uncomfortable foolish Right. 
Therefore, right view, establish and act and bring forth now qualities that are healing, clarifying, honest, generous. End of story. Now, those qualities then are not just ideas, they're actual heart energies. And the Buddha says you practice like this, and then when you have cultivated this, devoid of ill will, unconfused, clearly comprehending, ever mindful, dwell pervading the various aspects of your world with a mind of loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Just as a strong conch blower, you know those shells pop, 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 that people use, trumpets? So just as a conch blower can easily send a signal to all the four quarters, so too when the liberation of mind by loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity is cultivated, any limited karma that was done does not remain there, does not persist there. So this is directly using these to clear out these karmic residues where we feel tangled, hurt, wounded, shivering, bristling, resentful, jealous, fearful, miserable, upset and confused, plus probably a few more. So how do you get out of this mess? <laughs> you know, you can't just go around, he did this, she did that, they're going to do this, why am I like this? It's just going to go on. It's the wrong signal. That's not, that's not a trumpet. That's not a conch. That's not going to get you. It doesn't suffuse. It just runs around nagging and blaming. So you've got to get something steadier. Yeah. But where is that going to come from? It comes from presence. Awareness. Not from self, personality, but from presence. Awareness then. Asking the question, the inquiry. Do not add what isn't there. Do not add the sense of self. Don't add the personalities that you may consider to be occurring, even though you know that happened five years ago. Don't bring them in. Instead, respond to the hurt, the contraction, the agitation that's occurring in the here and now. What's the first response of that? It has to be gentleness, goodwill. May this be well. Bear with this. Everyone gets this experience of karma. Everyone gets karma. There's nothing personal about it. Everyone gets karma. But as a disciple in training, you have the opportunity, the encouragement and the skills and the tools that not everyone has, which is this understanding, right view, karma, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. This purifies the relational field and whatever people do, say, 
that's theirs, isn't it? Whatever people do or say, that's theirs. May they work their way out of that. May they find a way through their reactions and hostilities and whatever. That's not yours. Yours is to maintain that field. Purity, goodwill. This is not an easy road. It's very direct, but demanding. You know, you can't go into rights and wrongs. You've got to get very pragmatic. Where's your ground? Where's your heart? And begin to encourage that to meet these uncomfortable, tangling experiences in your own presence and trust the process. It's good to talk about and think about and bear in mind and share to remind each other where we are and how veils of consciousness create separation that causes so much difficulty uh, that we have to journey through, journey across. Therefore, friends, as always, stay with the Dhamma, stay in the stream, be well, and continue to practice. Blessings to you all.